0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Marketing Nerds. I'm Brent Storrs, and I'm joined today by a good friend of mine, Robert Arsnick Hansen, who is the vice president of White Hat Security Labs team, um, well-respected DEFCON and uh, SE Oktoberfest speaker. Um, I think you speak at a number of other conferences as well, but those two are near and dear to me. Uh, creator of HackersOrg. Um, and also, creator of the program Slow Loris, which was used in the 2009 Iranian Revolution to bring down key Iranian government websites. I always love uh, uh, that story as well. And he's probably one of the nicest and most uh, interesting guys I, I actually know. So, man, it's a, it's a great pleasure to have you on the show with me today.
1: <laughs> yeah, Thanks for having me, Brent. Uh, uh,
0: you know, we've known each other uh, for quite some time now. I think about seven or eight years. Yeah, I was going to so. say
1: seven years. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: ever yeah. since the first um, SE Oktoberfest mm-hmm. when uh, you know it was all kind of clou- uh, cloaked in secrecy, and, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, you know, this guy came up and started presenting about you know hijacking people and rewriting their Java, uh, you know, um, getting them to give Java, you know, or was it Java approvals, you know, mm-hmm. to make the screens move behind the websites? Flash, it was Flash, and it was flash, flash yeah. Right? And anyway, it was it was quite scary and exciting at the same time. Um, made me feel like I was in a hacker's movie. Uh, uh, is it fair to say that you're a hacker?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I used to run hackers.org, so I think that's uh, <laughs> enough of a… Uh,
0: like a well, you know, hacker has such a negative connotation to it, right? And 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 you don't really live on the dark side of, of the hacking world. You tend to do uh, a lot of your research and a lot of your work tends to be for the, the greater good in some senses, wouldn't you say?
1: I would say that's definitely true. I have my roots on the the Black Hat side, and I still definitely stay in close contact with people on that side. But yeah, I think for the most part these days, I've gone straight and narrow. It's The, the pay is not as good as the Black Hat side, but at least I don't have to look over my shoulder. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. I remember when we were traveling back from Germany, I was flying... Um I think we were either flying together, actually, um, or or around the same time period, or you were taking a different flight. But nonetheless, I remember you saying, oh, yeah, they lost my laptop again, you know, and it's like constantly people (laughs) snagging your laptop. So it must be interesting. uh, The the life of a well-known hacker must be quite interesting indeed, uh, especially when you're traveling internationally.
1: Yeah, just don't bring anything you care about is pretty much the rule of thumb. <laughs> there you go. So when, when it comes
0: to, to, to security in general, there's there's a lot of fun stories. And we always talk about uh, uh, the interesting stories. But from a webmaster perspective, um, I want to pick your, your your brain a little bit on, on, on large scale and also small scale businesses, some of the things that, that they might be dealing with in regards to security. And I think I would say most people out there probably don't know what they should be focusing or, or not focusing on. So I wanted to, to see if I could get you know, from you some sense of when it comes to the larger publisher, when you're thinking about a larger publisher, a larger company, um, and, and what things should they be looking at in, in today's you know, space to, to be more secure online?
1: I think one of well, let's take, let's take a, a retailer as an exa- example as opposed to a bank or something. <clears throat> I think retailers have an interesting problem because they, they generally like to have user-generated content on their site. You know things like feedback or you know, somebody like asking questions or send a friend functionality or shopping lists or whatever. All that stuff is user-generated content, and maybe not in the way most people think of it. But it doesn't matter. If if I'm inserting stuff, something in a database and it's being reflected back at some point, uh, that, that is definitely user-generated content. <clears throat> I think if you're going to say there's one sort of massive problem, it's uh, people just generally don't do good sanitation of input and they don't do good sanitation of output. And then the that the problem with that is then they intermingle it with things that are actually sensitive. It's not particularly sensitive what my shopping list for you know, my wedding, you know, whatever uh, list or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. That that's not, that's not particularly interesting. But what is interesting is if I somehow find a way to escape out of a query and make a call to your database and, you know, pull out your username and password, that, on the other hand, is very interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. So because all this stuff is intermingled and it's all in one big database, you know, different table, but different, you know, one big database, and using one database user with all the same permissions as if it was an admin, uh, that that simple sort of design choice uh, makes it incredibly easy to attack. And then similarly, if if I'm allowed to write content and it gets saved to the actual HTML of a page or gets reflected out of the, uh, as HTML, uh, or as an admin, if Uh, from the internet, I can log into my site and uh, physically change the layout of the page or whatever, which is a common feature in content uh, content management systems. That is a pretty dangerous design choice because it allows, if if there's ever any vulnerability in the CMS or there's ever any vulnerability uh, in the user of the CMS, um, suddenly the attacker can modify the entire source of of the website and that leads to malware and you know, stolen usernames and passwords and whatever. But don't these systems
0: typically protect against that? Don't you have, like, uh, you know, built into most of the
1: platforms today something that kind of keeps that from occurring? Mm, Sort of. I mean, they try to prevent it on a case-by-case basis, so they know that I'm pulling input in here and do something smart with it. You know, XYZ has to be done on this input. But the problem is, on large enough CMSs, you end up with a huge user base of people submitting code, usually. And not necessarily every single parameter is being evaluated and protected in the same way. And and also, sometimes you sort of make the assumption that it's being protected, and then you reflect it back somewhere else, and it gets used in a very different way in that context. Like, it's okay if it's in HTML space, but the second you put it in JavaScript space, it's suddenly very vulnerable. So it, it, it's, very, it's actually an extremely complicated problem, believe it or
0: not. <laughs> so, so with that in mind, you, you know, you're talking, let's say, keep with the example of a retailer. What would, you know, what would a company look to do to try to – I mean, obviously, they're not going to take away all these features, right? I mean, people are always going to you know, risk security for features. If we haven't learned anything, we've learned that. Um, so, so what are some things that they can start considering? Like what should they be looking at doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, firstly, you have to decide how bad is it if something bad happens. You know, if, if this happens on some brochure where site like the nothing is on, you know, there's nothing there, it doesn't matter. If it happens on your main corporate website where people actually do purchasing, on the other hand, that might be the end of your company. It just depends on what we're talking about. So once you've decided that it's something you actually want to deal with and it's a vulnerability that's real or whatever – Generally speaking, if you know the vulnerability is there, it's very easy to fix, like super easy. There's only a couple vulnerability classes out there that actually are kind of tricky to solve. For the most part, it's usually like one or two lines in, uh, in your code and you're done. Um, if you don't know that it's there, there's, there's several things you can do. One is you can hire a penetration testing firm, uh, a company like ours that does managed security testing. Two, you, uh, you can hire a bug bounty team, so you basically say any takers, anybody who wants to break into us will pay you if you find a vulnerability. Uh, there's some issues with that. Um, you kind of have to be fairly mature to even go down that, that model, uh, but the nice part is you get kind of a robust group of random people who are all trying to hack, hack you all at once. Uh, and then the third way, if, if, even, if even if both of those fails, what you can do is you can get cyber insurance. Uh, cyber insurance is wonderful stopgap, assuming that it's covered. Which means usually they ask you some questions like, "Do you do security auditing?" So you kind of have to have one of the first two things kind of nailed down before you even go down that path. Uh, my, I think one of the scarier things that I'm seeing right now is a move to uh, it, it's a, it's a move to um, rapid redeployment where you have a website that if it gets compromised, you just immediately replace all the code. Uh, back to its known good state. So it doesn't matter that much if you get compromised and as long as you have pretty good monitoring, uh, you can quickly get the site back up and running. Now that stops infections if, um, from you know taking hold sure uh, in, in some cases where they're not cloaking it <laughs> uh, as, as a good blackhead SEO would know. Uh, But what it doesn't solve is the data theft part, so if you're dealing with digital goods where it doesn't really matter if they steal the digital good and you don't really have any valuable information in their database, that rapid uh, redeployment model works really well. And the but dev- it, it, but it also
0: wouldn't tell you what the actual vulnerability is, would it? I mean, if you don't, if you're just an average person like me, and you say, "Oh shit, I got hacked," I'm going to go back and go three days back when I knew it was last good. That's great, but that vulnerability still exists in a three-day old code, that, right? That is
1: absolutely right. Um, you might be able to figure it out anyway uh, because you might still have logs. A lot of people don't keep good logs, uh, and one of the very first things a lot of attackers do is remove themselves from the logs. Uh, forensically secured logging is actually a very rare thing in my business, although it's super important if you actually want to catch the bad guy. But I would say catching the bad guy is only sort of useful. Um, I mean that's what the FBI and police are for, that's not your job as a webmaster. Your job as a webmaster is to get your site back up and running so you can make money. Uh, and the fastest way to get your site back up and running is to rapid redeploy and worry about finding that issue later.
0: Is that like an option? Is it like something server companies are running now, this rapid? I mean, I know my server company, I work with Tiger Tech, right? I email them, they do it for me. They just, they take an old, you know, they'll go and they'll say, oh, this changed at this point, we'll, we'll go back and put it back up. But is there like, an, is that an actual option that you can like buy into this rapid redeployment?
1: Thing? No, no, but I'm sure there's some affiliate out there who's going to make a page about this any minute. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so question for you, um, you know, listening to that, like, what's what am I
0: looking at for price ranges? Like, if I'm thinking about going and getting like a forensic team to come in and kind of look for security vulnerabilities, um, what's what's the price range I should really be looking at?
1: So it depends a little bit, and before you do forensics, you should know that in certain states. Uh, you're required to have either a police officer or a private investigator on staff. Um, this is, uh, it's all about a third of states now, so you, you should just do it anyway, because if you go across borders uh, for any reason, you're going to want this. Um, so that's number one. Number two, the the price range varies quite a bit. Uh, you're probably going to want to go with a bigger team, um, just because it ends up being kind of a big mess if you have to rebuild a bunch of stuff. And a small team might have trouble just manning that amount of work. Uh, like a big team would be, like you know, uh, like a ver- like Verizon uh, s- security services or something. They, you know, they're huge. They could probably throw a hundred people at the problem. Um, but um, I think that your price range will be anywhere from like hundred bucks an hour up to five hundred bucks an hour, somewhere in that range. Uh, and so it obviously depends heavily on how bad the problem is and how much they have to do. I've been in some cases where it's you know a few thousand dollars. I've been in a few cases where it's you know close to a million after it's all said and done. Uh, so it just depends, you know, is
0: there, is there like a base level way of doing this? I mean, is there like a way that like, I, I run my own affiliate site. I don't have those kind of budgets, but I'm willing to throw 500 to a thousand bucks at it. Am I getting what I need out of that? Is there a service that does kind of the, the, you know, the, Hey, we'll, we'll fix your easy stuff for you or we'll get you on the right path, the right path.
1: Well, I mean, there's plenty of, there's plenty of companies out there that do penetration testing very, very cheaply. Um, like is would be one that comes to mind, and there's a whole bunch of others that are kind of the bottom bottom basement, uh, but, but do a good job still. I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking them, sure. T- truly not knocking them. Uh, but you, but the, the difference between them and, let's say, what White Hat does or what Veracode does or HP or one of the lar- larger companies is we will be looking at things that are custom um, as opposed to templatized. So, WordPress is a pretty easy thing to templatize, plugins are pretty much the same everywhere, and so them finding a vulnerability in an existing plugin is actually very easy because they're only looking at things that are known vulnerable, and they they find their own vulnerabilities too, which makes them good and useful and that's why you want to use them. Um, If your your code is written from scratch and you've got something that's completely unique to you, uh, that would probably not be my first choice. I would probably go with either a manual penetration testing group, uh, or use one of the companies I just mentioned, Wayhat or Veracode, or HP, or one of those sure. Fortify, one of those guys.
0: So uh, one of the conversations that we hear about in search marketing right now is the kind of the increase of the use of the HTTPS. Um, And it makes people, you know, people are looking at that right now because it's like, oh, it's a ranking factor. But can you can you, uh, you know, speak to kind of like is, is that something Webmasters should really be looking at? I mean, is it a security thing or is it just purely like a web, you know, SEO type thing?
1: Well, it it is both. Um, I, I think people, before you make the decision one way or another, you should understand what the economics of it are uh, and also understand that Google is doing this, in my opinion, primarily to prevent ad injection companies, uh, ISPs or whatever, from injecting their own ads. Uh, but, you know... <laughs> Looking at the economics of it, I think – I know that's horrible, but I'm a, I'm a cynical bastard.
0: <laughs> well, you have a good history with Google
1: as it is. So, <laughs> So I, I mean, there is a security benefit to using it. Not a, a huge one, but I would say the, uh, the, the less active adversary who's just passively listening on the wire, who happens to be a man in the middle, like at a coffee shop or something – is not going to be able to derive a whole lot of data out of uh, a stream that uses HTTPS. They'll be able to drive a few things, maybe they can sort of figure out what pages you're hitting, but they're not really going to be able to see the content itself in most cases. That's not true of all cases, but most cases. The lazy adversary will have no idea what they're doing. Uh, once you get to the much more sophisticated adversaries, like if, if, unfortunately, if I were in the man in the middle, I'd probably be able to see everything you're doing. Um, and that's because of side channel attacks. and. Uh, various problems in the browser and so on. Uh, so it it's not like it's hopeless and it's not terrible, but it's definitely not great security, let's put it that way. But the real reason I think to do it is not just the immediate ranking boost, which I think is probably not just a... I think it's probably more like if, if you have a competitor who's exactly the same rank as you, it'll get, put you above them. It's not much of a ranking beyond that. But I think the actual value is any links you get between now and the point at which... You switch over to HTTPS, will have a 15% link uh, penalty uh, approximately um, a- until you get them to change their link over to HTTPS because of that three-one redirect. HTTPS. So let's say you have a hundred links and you can only convert 50 of them. Or actually, that's a I can't do that math in my head. But <laughs> 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 whatever, it's 200 links and 50% of them get to, you can you can get them to change it over to HTTPS. The other fi- the other hundred you can't you'd have a 15% penalty, it's sort of like showing up to work um, and missing you know, 7.5% of your work week or whatever. Um, so in my opinion, it is worth doing sooner than later for that reason alone. You don't want to have to sacrifice any links unnecessarily.
0: But wouldn't you think that, I mean, isn't this something that Google is, is you know, not, like, I mean, it seems like they could be able to code in that if it's from an HTTP to an HTTPS and nothing else has changed to not you know, remove the, you know, the, the juice that's passing.
1: Yeah. You'd also think they'd be able to figure out that three or oneing from www to non www would not be a, a penalty, <laughs> but they haven't been able to do that one. So I don't, you know, I mean, yeah. maybe in the future they'll figure it out and be nice to people and encourage them to do it. But for now, uh, actually believe it or not, this is, this is, uh, the right incentive to make you do it sooner. So, Although it seems like it's unfair, it actually is a better incentive to keep it as is to switch people over to HTTPS and therefore uh, less ad injection.
0: Okay. So, so, in general, if somebody was asking they had the capability to get HTTPS, you would say, yeah, go ahead and do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, WordPress. Just heard the news that WordPress is 25, you know, making up 25% of the sites on the web today. Mm-hmm. Um, thoughts on WordPress as a whole? Uh,
1: from a security standpoint? Well, I mean, I've found a lot of vulnerabilities in WordPress over the years. Uh, I've also used WordPress as a core platform for a bunch of my websites. Um, And I would say gradually they've gotten quite a bit better. I really like the fact that they're uh, doing more automated updates. I think that's very clever. Uh, I think with something as simple as that plus WordFence and you've got a pretty decent defense, uh, I will not go on a limb and say that the plugins are very good though, like the plugins in general are kind of a gigantic crapshoot and tend to be full of vulnerabilities. Uh, I've never liked the fact that their, um, their admin page is, is accessible in a known, uh, known location, uh, that's just a, a big problem, uh, problem point. I don't like how trackbacks work, I think those are very dangerous. I don't like how uh, the web user owns all the files, that's very dangerous. I don't like how their database is set up uh, especially everything having access, same level of access usernames and passwords combined with text all that stuff so there's some very strange design decisions that kind of came from antiquity uh, back when WordPress was tiny uh, that I think we're sort of stuck with um, which you know modern day I would say don't don't do it that way don't don't have your usernames and passwords in a a PHP file in the root directory, (laughs) little things like that.
0: (laughs) But do do you have like a guide? Have you ever written like a guide to like, you know, 10 things to secure your WordPress or 10 settings? You know, have you ever done one of those kind of like topical, you know, secure or better secure your WordPress site?
1: Oh, I've probably written 100,000 different things in my lifetime. Probably. (laughs) I have to go search for it. (laughs) So,
0: So what's this, what's this word fence thing? You mentioned WordPress. Uh, it's just,
1: WordPress, but. It's just an, another security plugin. I mean, I mean, anytime you do something that uh, limits people's access to uh, the WP admin directory uh, down to a known IP addresses, or you know, make sure that you're not doing something crazy like using a really crappy password with the admin user, or uh, making sure that you're updating your plugins. I mean, all of those things they seem semi minor, but th- those are how websites get compromised uh so i, w- I would say that, that you know that's that's a good plugin i'm not I'm certainly not you know affiliated with them in any shape or form but uh but I think that there are some things out there that have some sort of seemingly subtle uh impact but actually could have a huge impact on whether you actually get compromised or not. and
0: you you also mentioned the admins page location. does WordPress kind of handle that by rewriting it or something, or should uh, people kind no. of rewrite it on
1: their own I mean I, ideally what I'd really like is for WordPress to do it. By themselves. I mean, I've, I've talked with Yoast quite a bit, and you know, I'm sure he's communicated at least some of these thoughts um, to the WordPress core team. And I've talked with Nason a little bit, and, and others. Um, and and I've I've always thought that that was a bad design choice. At minimum, it should ask you, like, are you do you want to keep it here or do you want to move it around? Um, I know part of the problem is they don't want to deal with customer support any more than any enterprise does. So the issue would be, all right, so you've named it to Quidjiboo. Uh, are you going to remember that it's Quidditchie tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: exactly, right. Um, and you mentioned uh, trackbacks. I mean, sh- would you then recommend that people turn off trackbacks? i do turn them off just by default myself, but is that something you think people should turn off as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, immediately, as a matter of fact. Yep. S-
0: so, so another thing that I've noticed um, – Is, you know, we have a lot of discussions about security. Uh, Thank you, Anonymous, for making everything so visible and everybody's so scared. Um, (laughs) People are constantly worried about everything. Uh, Quick, you know, you talk about the NSA, you know, monitoring, right? There's things like Facebook apps, like why does it need so many of permissions for such a simple app, right? To listen to the recordings, to 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 all the things that the Facebook app does. You know, are these things that people really should be worrying about in your opinion or is it kind of much to do about nothing?
1: I think that they're right in being concerned in so much that the architecture itself allows for it. Let me give you an example. Um, right now, even without all of those crazy permissions, if I if I send you a account like a, I don't know whatever a little light app or something, there's a million of those on Android platform. I don't actually need uh, all those permissions to snoop on you. Uh, as a for instance, the accelerometer in the phone is so sensitive that it can actually pick up voices without having access to the uh, without access to the microphone. So. If I wanted to, as an adversary, I could probably build a very tiny app that was able to discern most voices in the room, not with as sensitive, not you know, as well as the microphone, microphones microphone is designed for that purpose, uh, but well enough that it would get me what I want. So I think it's important for people to be aware that this is possible more than it's necessarily being worried about the implications uh, of any existing app or whatever. In so much that if I download a bunch of apps and I have like 50 on my phone, I have to. I should assume that at least one of them either has a vulnerability or is maliciously d- developed to do something bad to me. That way, having that mindset just means maybe I shouldn't bring that phone into the meeting, or maybe I should you know pull out the battery if if my phone's capable of that, uh, or you know maybe I shouldn't have this conversation. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so people kind of people
0: people allude to that and then they say, Oh, I'm just being paranoid or something. I mean, should you know, like one of the things that I do is is that I have a little piece of tape on my cam, my webcam that has a black marker circling out the camera, right? So that when I'm not using my webcam, I keep it covered. So because I'm always concerned that some some program is gonna be using my webcam. I mean, am I being silly with all this stuff?
1: No, no, absolutely not. And and I've actually written software specifically to still access the camera and microphone using click checking. So uh, that, that is definitely a real threat. It's definitely possible. Um, there's been tons and tons of uh, uh, RATS uh, remote access uh, tools that allow me to have access to camera and microphone. Uh, these are definitely real exploits, especially if, you know... I mean, there's a certain class of people who tend to be more targeted. You know, younger women, uh, children, that kind of stuff. Um, that uh, you you definitely want to be a little bit more careful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think anyone really wants to see me naked, but
0: <laughs> you talk, you talk quite a bit about it, adversaries, and you recently did a presentation where you were talking about like you know your adversaries adversaries starting to get really quick and, and, and how you kind of deal with that. I mean, it's from, from looking at the presentation you sent over, it was very much over my head, but it was very interesting. So I wanted to ask if you could kind of elaborate that uh, on that whole topic and, and kind of go into that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So once upon a time, if I wanted to, to uh, find and exploit every single uh, web server, let's say, that was vulnerable to some exploit – It would take me effectively the end of my life to scan the entire internet because by the time I finished uh, scanning the internet, it would have changed so much because it took so long that I'd have to start the scan all over again. We're talking in some cases months uh, to scan even a very small chunk of the internet. But nowadays, there was a change to the Linux kernel that happened a couple years back that makes it so I can scan much, 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 much faster than I used to be able to. Uh, I'm no longer bound by uh, the amount of sockets that a, a computer can open, and now I'm bound by bandwidth. And bandwidth is cheap. It's easy to get a lot of bandwidth. Uh, so now I could scan, let's say, the entire internet on a single port in a few minutes, you know, a handful of minutes. And so w- what that really means is I, mean, I know that sounds bad. I can basically find every vulnerable machine in a few minutes, but it's actually worse than that because what I can do is I can take that data and shove it into a database Uh, And the internet doesn't change that much that rapidly, so I can run that scan, let's say, once a day or once a week or whatever, and then let's say a new vulnerability comes out for WordPress or whatever. I can go into my database, look for all the vulnerable things that, uh, that are in that database, and then start attacking them, and I can literally compromise every single machine that's vulnerable on the entire internet in a few minutes. So... The longer the days of of patch management uh, in terms of effectiveness once that really becomes weaponized, uh, we we won't have the opportunity to get in front of it. You won't even have the time to download the explo- or the, the patch and start installing it by the time you'll be compromised. So that's where... And that's, where that's
0: ra- if you even get the information in a reasonable amount of time. I mean, most and most people right. are getting like two weeks later, they're getting something on Facebook that says, hey, you could have been compromised, you know? Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. So... What that really means is you need to look for other things. I think DevOps is a really interesting uh, movement in our industry towards uh, rapid uh, patch management, rapid fixing, um, detection. There, there's some interesting tricks out there for for doing uh, for doing detection of somebody who's compromising you, that kind of thing. But I mean, basically, what what a, the point of the presentation is uh, that whole method of of you know keeping something in a separate directory so no one will ever find me or uh, or you know trying to protect myself by you know removing the word uh, the word PHP out of my Apache. HTTP uh, response or whatever—like that—that just doesn't work anymore, or at least it doesn't work well enough to stop an adversary. Like what I'm talking about. And, and have people started utilizing this,
0: you know, in, in order to correlate, you know, co- connected data? I mean, I, I imagine that this has to be something that goes into spying and goes into, a de- you know, uh, data collection of being able to say, "Hey, I, these people have multiple servers, but I can correlate the data and connect them to each other."
1: Yeah, and in fact, as a matter of fact, I personally do that on a very regular basis. Um, so if I'm doing it in my own lab, I know for a fact other people are doing it too because it's too juicy of a target. It's too simple. Um, I mean, it, it takes some sophistication to know how to build that kind of stuff, and it takes some sophistication to know what you're looking at once you have it. But uh, the advantages it imparts upon you are so enormous. For instance, I'm the guy who found Hillary Clinton's mail server, and um, I was able to go back in time, looking at my data, to see exactly how Ashley Madison got compromised, and these are things you just can't do unless you have just tons and tons and tons of data. And so, if we're really talking about adversaries really just needing, uh, you know, a couple terabytes on a disk somewhere and some time to process that, that is that is definitely within the realm of possibility for even I would say the kind of upper middle average type attacker.
0: So wait a minute, you found Clinton's email
1: server. What what was that?
0: Yeah, so you were the one who found that.
1: Yeah, I didn't know about that. I didn't hear anything about that. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't like publicizing that stuff. But I do have like nineteen or twenty thousand Twitter followers. So uh, when I mentioned it, it, it sort of exploded. <laughs>
0: interesting, interesting. Because that was that's. The, the, do you ever worry about some of that stuff? I mean, I know you've been pretty out in front and center, but don't you ever worry about some of the exposure that you get from from the work that you do?
1: Of course. Yeah, I think that's, that's a constant threat. But I'm, I'm well-armed and smart, so... <laughs> I
0: remember one, I mean, you took down hackers.org, and I, I, I told you, I, I was constantly like, oh, I don't think you should take it down. But you took it down, and I realized you were kind of tired of having the constant bullseye, right? Um, but I remember on that when you would publish all the people that had tried to hack you. Remember, mm-hmm. you had the, like the wall of shame?
1: Yep, yep. And that definitely wasn't all of them. (laughs) (laughs) But I always
0: thought that wall of shame was funny. I used to always share that with people. I'd be like, oh, you want to know who Arsenic is? Here, watch this wall of fame, you know, wall of shame, you know, uh, and so forth. So that was always funny. So that sounds really scary. It sounds like in a world of retroactive, you know, personalities, um, that that seems, you know, it seems like we're not looking at a time, any time in the near future where we're adequately prepared for the threat.
1: That's correct. Um, that's where I think rapid redeployment is kind of an interesting model, despite the fact that it doesn't actually solve the problem. It just sort of gets you back to status quo is, is sort of interesting. Um, it's, it's I don't know, it's anathema for our security industry who actually cares about security, but it's good for business. And ultimately, that's all we really care about, right? We want to make sure that businesses continue to thrive. I, I, want, I don't want to be too scary here because, I mean, keep in mind, this is an ecosystem. A- adversaries do not want to bleed uh, their uh, host dry. They want to make sure that the industry continues to thrive because then they'll continue having jobs. If they go after too many people too fast, it's going to lower consumer confidence, it'll put companies out of business, and they'll have less of a market to go uh, and pilfer from, if that makes sense.
0: The last question I want to ask you, and then I'll let you get back to your day, is um... You know two thousand and fifteen 's been an interesting year uh, You have uh you know the ability to to hear about a lot more stories the you know to see a lot more things uh than most other people and i I wanted to ask you in two thousand and fifteen what was the most impressive hack security risk whatever it may be tactic that you 've seen that you can kind of talk about some some something fun to kind of run us out
1: hmm. Well, this isn't actually a hack, but I still think it... I, I kind of like social engineering hacks as well as, as uh, traditional hacks, um, so you'll have to bear with me. But China has a new uh, credit score that the, the country is considering. I think it actually originated from like Alibaba or something, so it's not a guarantee that this will happen. But effectively, if you and I are friends, and I'm a political dissident, and China knows about that, you and your credit score would get dinged because you and I are friends on some social network. Um, If you buy things like, uh, you know, dishwashers and baby food, uh, your credit score would go up. If you buy video games, your credit score would go down. Anything that the state wants you to do, um, you'd get a higher credit score. And that credit score actually means something. It actually like helps you get a better passports, they actually give you money, Uh, you get better jobs. If you get a lower credit score, you get ostracized by your friends. Uh, you cannot take. You cannot have certain types of jobs. Uh, again, you can't travel internationally and so on. Um, and I think that that is one of the most interesting hacks I've ever heard of because it's very similar to the way the Stasi uh, used to work. Like helping, you know, and inf- you don't, you never know who's part of the Stasi. You know, your best friend could be, so you never really want to say anything negative because you could always be ostracized. You know, ostracized yeah, yeah. or outed by the, the very person who you have dinner with. Um, but this is at a mass scale, and it'll and it basically shows how incredibly dangerous social networking is, uh, because now they really do have a very powerful platform for identifying no, and is this, and this squashing something this,
0: is this something that they they tell people in, in yeah. one way, shape, or form to kind of you know to let them know that this is occurring?
1: Yeah, yes, it would be a public score that anyone can check on anyone else's score, which is kind of interesting. Um, so the government hasn't said, come out and said they're definitely doing this, but the idea is in the next couple of years, it's already there, it already exists, uh, but in the next couple of years, the theory is this might become law, in which case you better start working on your credit score right now because down the road, it'll impact your ability to get loans and you know have friends and all kinds of stuff. Where, where did where did you first hear about this? Because I haven't
0: heard anything about this. It's quite <laughs> Isn't <interesting>. this crazy?
1: <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. So Through friends who were working in the field... Um, I do a lot of work with uh, you know people who deal with policy. But stuff. is there like
0: articles about this, or is this yes. something that yeah. people have found Absolutely. you know no, kind of more there, quietly? There's
1: definitely articles out there. You can if you if you know what you're looking for, you can definitely find them for sure. Interesting,
0: interesting. Now, do you think this is something that you know the rest of the world's kind of watching to see the impact, or you think this is something oh, yeah. that you know we could see happening
1: here in our country, or? I don't think that we're going to see that happen, but I think we are already seeing it happen sort of naturally. You know. If you're, you're very uh, pro some political party, you're naturally going to be a little bit ostracized or maybe even completely ostracized by people who are, friends, uh, are you know, friendly to the other party. And so again, this is where social networking becomes a problem because it's very hard to be neutral in situations like that without just being absent. Um and uh absent is just as much of a crime as uh not saying, yay, go government, we love you, um, you know, wearing wearing all national colors and stuff. Uh I think that other countries will definitely take a hard look at this if it ever does get implemented nationally, and we'll definitely see <laughs> Some very scary things come of it because what what they're really going to be doing here is breeding out free will. <laughs> it's the craziest. Well, accent. you
0: already if you look at it right now, and you already sort of have a sense in social, right? So when I update my social accounts, I very rarely ever say what I really want to say, right? Sure. Um, I, I'm filtering myself based on what people are going to think if I make a political stand or if I say something that might have some, you know, uh, frustration in it, or talk personally about myself that might allude to me being either happy or sad for whatever reason, right? Um, So it seems interesting that when you look at like the impact that the social leaks have had with, you know, the Ashley Madison hack, that it seems like this would be an area for some kind of, you know, black hat political, you know, positioning.
1: That's right. Um, It really makes guys like me um, pretty excited because, you know. (laughs) Frankly, well, one of my, one of my, use, one of my uh, sort of threat models for any company is, is imagine what would happen if everything gets compromised. And when you're talking about a small you know, retailer, maybe that's not that bad. But when you're talking about Facebook and every single piece of data that they've got, uh, that's pretty bad. When you're talking about Google, that's even worse <laughs> uh, because they have hooks into all of those systems, whether you understand it or not. Um, in fact, a lot more. And I think once you start seeing even more of the consolidation of those big social companies and search agencies and so on, uh, and traffic analysis companies, which Google is all of those things and more, uh, you're going to see a very ripe target. And they've already been hacked many times. It's not like this has never happened or something. Uh, In the Aurora hack, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Google was compromised, Rackspace was compromised, and so on. So this is is a real thing. This will definitely become a problem.
0: Yeah. Well, I could sit here and, and talk for the rest of the day with you on this stuff, but uh, you know, I, we've really gone over our time, so I want to thank you uh, again for for joining me. Very interesting stuff, and and very happy to have you on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Brent. Awesome. Thanks, bud. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by
1: Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.